Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear, episode three, Full Flaps. Now coming up is our full-length interview with Major George Smokey Bacon, MBE, to give him his full title, who has amassed over 4,000 hours and over 20 different aircraft. He writes the theme tune and sings the theme tune when it comes to air shows. He's an absolutely cracking guest, amazing stories. We have to get him back with the second series. But before you get to listen to that, a couple of quick things. One, thank you so much for listening. We do this for the love. So if you love it, please, please share it with anyone you know. Uh, Just click the share link and send your mate a WhatsApp right now. Please ask them to check us out. We really want to reach everybody in the aviation community and create something really special here. Also, if you haven't, and I don't want to sound like a stuck record, but please leave us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. It pushes us up the chart. We are currently the number one UK aviation podcast on iTunes in the country. And you don't know how happy that makes me as a pop star who hasn't had a number one for a very long time. Uh, Number two... We talk about the Armchair Air Show with George in this interview. It happened live last Saturday, but if you missed it, fear not, because you can watch the whole four and a half hours again on YouTube, Planes TV, Airability, all for free. It was fantastic. It had films of some of the greatest aircraft displays ever, alongside a running commentary with the pilot who actually flew those displays or flew that plane. You know, it highlights MiG-29, F-22, F-16, Typhoon, Harrier, Space Shuttle, Concorde, X-59, Jaguar. Just for James, we have the Chinooks, the Red Arrows and the Blades, of course. And my favourite was Lightning Strikes Thrice, the P-38 Lightning versus the English Electric Lightning versus the F-35 Lightning. It was absolutely brilliant. Full credit to the whole team behind it. Uh, please watch it and please donate and support Airability so they can continue to ensure that people with all disabilities are able to take part in the magic of flight. Uh, enjoy that. Enjoy this interview. We'll see you next week for episode four, which is all about the Red Arrows. Now, off to George. This is Top Landing Gear. We're delighted to have with us this week a man who certainly knows his way around an air show. Not only is he a display pilot with the Army Air Corps Historic Flight and chairman of the Historic Aircraft Flight, he's also CEO of the British Air Display Association and the voice of numerous air shows up and down the country. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome George Smokey Bacon. Marvellous. What a party. What a party we have already. (laughs) It's fantastic to have you with us. You know Roy and you know me. Let me just introduce you to the other members of the team. Uh, James Cartner. Say hello, James. Hello, James. James finds it difficult to understand the simplest of instructions. He is a pilot. And then uh, the other fellow is is <laughs> is Jez, Jez Curling, who's an agricultural fencer, but this is his idea, so that's why he's part of the team. Hi, George. Very nice to meet you. George, tell me, why um, the name Smokey, I always thought was to do with the bacon part of your name, but there's a little more to it than that, isn't there? Well, it's obviously synonymous, but um, the smoky bit came after an electrical fire started on a, uh, an aircraft I was flying in Canada. It's a quite a lengthy story, um, <laughs> but uh, the simple end of it is um, no, because it was absolutely extraordinary, actually. Because um, I was, I was, I had a junior minister in the back 
of this <laughs> aircraft. And I was working as a sort of bush pilot with the British Army out in the middle of Canada at the time. Uh, but because I was the only guy that flew this aircraft, I took the liberty of putting my name on the door on the side. Um, <laughs> so it had my sort of rank and, and name and everything else. No numbers, of course. Um, so we're flying along. We're heading off to Calgary and we're about 5,000 feet above the ground. Or whatever. And then it's, it's this pungent smell came into the cockpit. I've had that before, but it's something different. <laughs> we were in agricultural land, so Jeremy would probably know something about that. Um, but um, so, so the, I, this guy, obviously, all, posh, all the posh knobs had, um, had an ADC with them, or a bag carrier, as we call them. And, and he said, uh, I said, can you smell that smell? He said, uh, oh, yes, it's probably the heater on my shoes. I put a bit of extra bullying on them this morning. But I, went, I think it's probably a bit more serious than that, uh, at which stage a bit more smoke um, came through the cockpit and i said i think we've got an emergency um nodded to this uh, chap in the back who he was a junior minister from the treasury this is the absolute truth uh. and sort of went mm, uh, mumbled oh, oh, oh dear rightio um anyway we, we shut the engine down um and started gliding to what i thought was a massive great green area now all the fields in in canada are huge you can't miss them um so uh, i'm getting down and i just put out my mayday 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 and did all the right stuff and everything else say uh, and that was fine and Calgary acknowledged. Uh, and then when at about 500 feet, it was obvious that this green patch was actually a fresh barley field. Oh. Now, this leads into <laughs> what happened next. If you're willing to listen, you may oh, well yeah. want to edit some of this out. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I then say, oh, dear. So anyway, I carry on the landing and whoosh, we go plowing through this fresh barley field. And then Literally, within an instant, this blue pickup truck starts charging across down the side of the field and out steps a very, very big, chunky Canadian farmer, <laughs> not just with his usual hat on, but with a shotgun. <laughs> Ambles over to the aircraft and says, wow. What the hell are you guys doing here? I won't say exactly the words he used, but there was a length of expletives that were probably unrepeatable at this stage. Um, who thought I had, was a bit of a joyrider, who decided that it was a jolly nice place to land. Well, could cut a long story short, various things happened. Police car sirens then started going off. Um, by which time, also, some of my mechanics had arrived in a spare chopper who also took the liberty of landing in the middle of the fresh <laughs> barley field, which you can imagine the effect that had. The end of the story is, after we all recovered and got this minister on his way and everything else, one of the mechanics, who then spotted that the, the, the side of the fuselage had become rather murky with smoky dust, licked his finger and put in under the name, and particularly under Bacon, Smoking. <laughs> that is the moment it stuck. Oh, I'm sorry that took right. so long. No, it's a great <laughs> story. I love it. It's great. What was the, what was the aircraft, George? That was, that was a Beaver, one of the world's Beaver. greatest bush planes. Yeah. Um, and um, yes, not to be confused with any other form of Beaver. Um, no, steady, um, George. I had steady. It Family show. Uh, I had it rigged out with this rather sort of comfy seat in the back and magazines, and I used to play music and everything else. I mean, the things are, it's a flying pickup truck, as you probably <laughs> yeah. are aware. Yeah. Hugely successful uh, aircraft. And, you know, I still fly one today at Middle Wallop yeah, and around absolutely. the display circuit. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, you know, it was quite a comfy, comfy beast for that sort of rugged flying that we did. Yeah, indeed. I don't know if my brother even knows this, but our uncle, who was a pilot, he also flew beavers in the bush. <coughs> <Did it? laughs> well, you've got to, 
Well, this is this is going one way only. This conversation, isn't it? <laughs> it's true in, in Canada. In Canada, <laughs> but I mean, they were they were great. I mean, they're phenomenal aircraft, and not everybody recognises them. You know, people are into mm. their F sixteens and twenty twos and F thirty fives and everything else these days. But actually, these sort of aircraft opened up not just entire continents mm. uh, for the population to to expand and for agriculture to expand, but of course, they were the developing phase of of modern aviation. Um, and the design of, of this aircraft is extraordinary because the doors are particularly uh, designed to uh, take on a 50-gallon oil drum. And that was essential for leaving up in the high Arctic during the summer months so that there was plenty of fuel up there to do all the work that they were doing. Um, there was a famous guy called Max Ward um, who eventually set up an airline called Ward Air, um, who was the real pioneer that did this. And he only died, he was in his mid-90s, he only died a few years ago. Wow. Extraordinary. You know, I mean, we, that, you, could, you could dedicate a whole sort of book to that guy, and I'm sure mm. somebody has. Mm. We might come back to the old Sorry, beavers. You've run out of words. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might come back to the beaver later. But George, George, just with your Bardar hat, your British Air Display Association hat on, everyone's obviously regretting, whilst understanding the reason that so far this summer we haven't been able to have any air shows at all. What is the situation there, and what are we likely to have by the end of the year in terms of air shows? Uh, that's a toughie. We're all waiting to see uh, what Boris will do in phase three of the great uh, plan. But um, a normal season would see well in excess of 100 air displays with about another 80 or 90 additional air events. So things like private parties and fly pass and commemorations, memorial flights, all that sort of thing. Uh, we'd normally get a turnout of around 5 million spectators a year turns over about 120, 130 million to the local economy. Uh, so it's pretty big business. It's um, it, the displays run about number two alongside horse racing, uh, second only to football as the main spectator activity wow. um, for was... UK. Yeah, it is. And yeah, not it is. It is an extraordinary uh, popular. A family. The great thing mm. is it's family activity because mm. it's not just, you know, stuff that's in the air, but clearly you go to an air show and there's a lot of stuff to, to mess with on the ground and for kids to play with, a lot of high-tech development work. Um, my, my gut feeling right now is that um, we're not going to see much at all this year. We may scrape one or two events in September and October. Uh, Duxford in particular have put together a very robust COVID-19 compliant plan to try and run their air show in the middle of uh, September. There are one or two smaller events. I think the Channel Islands um, stand a good chance mm. of doing something. And then there are one or two um, sort of charitable style fundraisers. I'm working on a, a Help for Heroes event for the middle of October at Highclere Castle, oh. uh, which I'm hoping will uh, will go ahead. And um, but most people, as you know, have postponed or cancelled um, provisionally to come back in 2021. And meanwhile, mm. however, we have been very busy, as you may well know, because I'm now immersed in producing, presenting around four mm. virtual air shows for this summer. They're all going to be aired in the next uh, four to six weeks. So how, how does a virtual air show work? Well, you've got to, first of all, take the pill to convince yourself you're in the <laughs> in a different world. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, Glastonbury uh, atmosphere would probably help better, wouldn't it? Um, but I won't go into that. Um, now, what we're going to do is basically 
um, mm. put a lot of really exciting footage together, a lot of it um, unseen, um, and then present it as if it is a live program. So we're going to set up a studio, um, and, and then we're going to call in, obviously, we're going to pre-record a lot of stuff, but talk over it as if it was live. And then half of the time, we'll actually be inviting the pilots to call in to us as we're playing a video of their display so they can talk us through the display. Um, at the same time, we'll have a bit of interactive stuff on Twitter and Facebook and Q&As and that sort of thing as well. Um, but hugely complicated. Um, uh, and, and I haven't done one before. Um, and the first one's next week. <laughs> Help! Help! So George, how, how far back are you going to go? Are you, are you going back, you know, uh, is it all very current? Are you going to go back um, <laughs> to maybe aircraft that are no longer flying, for example, the Vulcan? Uh, yes, that will be featured, uh, certainly. Um, I mean, uh, there's still a good team <laughs> running the Vulcan, as you know, up in Yorkshire, and, and they're making a sort of interactive museum out of the whole thing, which mm. is great, particularly for supporting STEM um, and, and getting youngsters involved in historic aviation. But, yeah, we'll be looking back at all the historic mm. flights, um, uh, hence why I'm there. Uh, there are younger people as well involved, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the features, to give an example of that uh, cross-reference between um, the, the past and the present, is we're going to do uh, one sequence which is called lightning strikes thrice uh, which is oh, about the development fun. of the term of lightning attached to aircraft from uh, the 40s right through to the modern f-35 lightning too so there are lots of little uh, <laughs> you know things like that but obviously the bbmf will be involved <clears throat> uh, some of the shuttle work oh, aircraft brilliant. perhaps um, so um, all in all i think it's um, it's going to be very entertaining um, clearly when you're doing um, will there be any so, will there be any live fly flying at all? Can you? Are you? Uh, it really tricky. <laughs> that um, we wanted to do that, but, it, yeah. but what? Where the, that then came in with a huge cost, um, getting cameras out to the various yeah. locations and then getting the microwave link set up and everything else. So, actually, we had to bin that. So, we will be recording some flying, but hopefully presenting it yeah. almost live. Right, because I've got my drone, which I can put a flag underneath, <laughs> and I'm happy to do a couple of a couple of laps in my local field on my on my mobile phone if that's going to help. I don't Fantastic! Know. You never know who you're going to find in the bush. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> George, when it, when is this all happening? When's the first one? The first one's called the Armchair Air Show. And yep. it's going to feature, I don't know when you're putting this podcast up, but it's going to be on Saturday the 20th of June at 2 o'clock. It's going to yep. be four hours. So that's four hours Amazing. of us immersed in the studio, um, pumping through it all. Um, and then uh, there are a whole series after that. So I'm involved with uh, the Wales Air Show, Sunderland, uh, Riat are doing their own with a slightly different team, but people that I obviously work with at Riat as well. Uh, and then Bournemouth, um, you yeah. know, one of the biggest footfall events in the country uh, with it on average 200,000 to 300,000 per day at the Bournemouth yeah. Air Show. It's a great event to work on. Uh, we're getting together with some virtual reality uh, producers um, and um, looking at, you know, maybe getting into people's VR headsets in their homes. Are these in aid of charity or anything? Or, um, yeah, well, the, you... the, the, the first one is 
totally charity. It's a charity called Airability. It's one of the many things I do. I'm proud to be, I'm a sort of volunteer ambassador for them. It's all about putting ability mm. back into disabled lives, to be honest. It's, uh, it does fantastic work. Um, and, um, it, you know, all the airplanes are adapted so that really you don't have to have much of a functioning body to be able to fly an airplane. Um, and the the chief exec of that charity... Sounds like a 777 pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, I hate to say it, but the newer they are, the more boring they are, aren't they, aircraft? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Yes. As are, as are the pilots. Well, one of the, I mean, I want to touch on another little story here because um, – we, 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 I helped to um, uh, form and, pr- and promote the, uh, the, the, era, the charity's own disabled display team, three pilots, all of them uh, ex-military in one way or another. And the leader um, actually has a leg missing, but he is also, would you believe, a virgin captain. And when he got his <laughs> medical cleared to go back into the captain's seat, um, I can't remember what fleet he's on now, but it may be the 380. Um, and um, he, <laughs> believe it or not, he passed the medical okay, okay, but the specification on his restricted license was he must always carry a spare leg with him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it sounds like they've copied they've copied and pasted that from the glasses thing where you always have to have a spare pair of glasses yeah, with you. Absolutely. They just have glasses, leg, same thing, <laughs> I'm sure. You are absolutely <laughs> correct. Uh, uh, it's true. So he goes on board into the cockpit with a spare leg behind his seat. <laughs> that is <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That is super. Yeah. Now this that team, what this team they what they yeah. run with the uh, charity is actually called the Barda Bus Company because I don't if you know Douglas Barda's yes. squadrons. He always used to refer to as his bus company. Um, so um, we got together with um, the great grandson of Douglas Bader, um, terrific guy, and uh, helped put this together. The Douglas Bader Foundation um, helped support the development of the Bader Bus Company display team, and uh, it was a great success, but sadly, nobody's going to see them this year. George, uh, that great-grandson is actually a guy called Charlie. It is, Charlie Vickers. And... And Charlie has actually played guitar for Scouting for Girls before. No, he, 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 he was flat. He was the circle is he, he was Jamie O'Gorman, our guitarist, flatmate. And Jamie oh. went away and couldn't do it. And he said, "Well, my flatmate will come and play." So, so Charlie came and played a couple of gigs for us oh, back he's in the day. Just terrific. Well, he put together, as you know, you you may not know the story. He put together the most amazing orchestra to record the music for the display team, and we all went to uh, Abbey road uh, and went down memory wow. lane uh, for this recording I've seen, I've, seen the, I've seen the video for that i watched that yeah. on, uh, a few weeks ago it's fascinating and i'd say oh i said to roy oh, roy you've got to get this um we must do something with the by uh, the bus company he goes no no mate i'm all over it i know the guy running it i said what what well that that is a very spookily small world i'm clearly mixing with dangerous company here (laughs) (laughs) you you are actually very close to the whole uh this whole podcast top landing gear because uh, like with scouting for girls i obviously i'm aviation mad and the best 
days of the summer for me is when we get to play an air show and we've played Bournemouth a couple of times and we played Sunderland yeah. and I remember saying to Rob saying oh, we're playing uh, Sunderland air show he goes oh if you see an old friend of mine George Smokey Bacon he, he does all the commentary go and say hello and so I had an amazing day as always yeah. we had a great gig had a few beers and then I managed to bump into you yeah yeah it was and great. so then and I took I remember taking a picture sending it to Rob and we just put that uh, we just put like a WhatsApp group together. And it was that night coming back, driving back from Sunderland, because I remember because we were all chatting on the WhatsApp, having just met George, that we came up with the name Top Landing Gear for yeah. the podcast. Well, I, must decided just, to, I must just ask, are it. we with or without flaps this evening? We are, this is, a, this <laughs> we are full flaps. This is, this is full with flaps. Full flaps. Right, yeah, full right. flaps. Okay, so flat, I've, just yeah. got, I've just got to trim my seat so, Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that I'm in the right, the right attitude for landing. Okay. So, so we've had we've had the bush, the beaver, and the flaps so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we're aer aeronautically we're, we're we're really in good shape. Yeah, but uh, do you know, Roy, it's great that you touch on that because I was keen to meet you, having seen the band several times. Uh, That's a first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most people don't come back. Uh, um, but, uh, but I started in um, music radio uh, well before uh, I, I decided to be a pilot. And, and it was really interesting stuff. And I feel in many ways that I've come full circle. Um, you know, having ch dramatically changed career, I just wanted to get on and do something else. And, uh, you know, it was a social connection. And I thought, well, I fancy having a go at that. And it's really interesting, isn't it? You get immersed in these careers, but actually always wanting to try and do something completely different. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. George, just getting getting back to the air shows, <clears throat> with all these cancellations this year, how has that affected the displays, the, the, the air shows themselves, as well as the display teams and individuals? Is it a really hard hit for them financially? And I know many of displays have given us dates for next year, but will they all be able to keep to those dates or, or will some shows and some display teams have to cease functioning? Well, a bit of bit of all of that, actually, uh, Rob. Mm. Um, I mean, my my I run my particular vintage team as a charity, and we've taken a massive hit because there has been nowhere to go to get any donations this year. So clearly, many people in my position are putting appeals online. Some of the commercial teams, and there are not that many actually, because um, many of the teams are made up of not. I would hobbyists is a wrong word. They're professionals, but they tend to be doing other aviation work as well. Um, but um, the the shows themselves, um, I do worry about, uh, particularly if council budgets are going to be smashed hard next year, and let's hope they're not. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the councils, and I don't think everybody appreciates this, um, do phenomenal work, um, not just in aviation, but right across the events industry um, with music and all sorts of other stuff, food and firework dis uh, displays are very popular as well. Um, if the event organisers themselves um, are hit and come out of this furlough period in not great shape, then that will affect next year. Mm. Now, uh, having done the research on this, and, I, uh, and obviously I'm presenting stuff to the government as well, I have to say I'm talking about, at the moment, only a very, very small percentage that may fail uh, into next year. 
uh, all the big ones are all mm. reporting that they're they're going to fight through it and they will be back next year, which is great news. So it is good news, but shows like Eastbourne, George, which of course is one of the seaside shows you do, where where we've met up in the past, which is just a fabulous show. It's all funded by the council, isn't it? It's it's a free show. Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, and we, you know, I mentioned that value-added figure early on, 120, 130 mm. million. Of course, it's what um, is generated by that council support. So clearly, all the the hoteliers and restaurants that that uh, yeah, pay taxes, uh, that is regenerated back into the local economy mm. uh, through the the council mm. themselves putting on an event. And 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 if anything, my heart goes out to the hospitality industry because it is the mm. second. T- um, of activity right across the country that has absolutely been smashed uh, in the last three months. Mm. Yeah. So do, um, George, do, do air, air shows generally make money if they're run as, a, as an enterprise? Yeah. In a word, yes. Um, in, it's difficult to evaluate. In terms of pure air display business, there aren't that many that just exist to run an air display. Royal International Air to Do is probably top of that list um, because it mm-hmm. runs independently. Uh, it's got its own management team. Uh, they do do additional things as part of their support to uh, the Royal Air Force Charitable Trust, and they have an enterprise branch for that. Uh, but really, the closest to that will obviously be Farnborough. And the reason I didn't put Farnborough first, because that is really a UK uh, shopping showcase for the entire UK aviation industry but also has yeah. a massive international flavour. Um, now, that's managed by mm-hmm. Farnborough International uh, Limited. And, um, of, of course, they have to make money because it is a commercial business. But most of the other shows that go on are wrapped up within other forms of business. Um, they're either supported and sponsored by charitable trusts, uh, and therefore they're yeah. only as good as the public are willing to commit. And others, as I mentioned, are predominantly local authority funded. And we've seemed to have seen a, a drop off in the the RAF station air days. Yeah, um, yeah. When I first joined the RAF, we used to have every station used to have an air, an air day. Uh, those seem to have all but disappeared now. Yeah. Well, two things have happened there. Right. One, as you know, the entire military has shrunk to barely mm-hmm. nothing. Um, I mean, yeah. you, you you can you you can put the entire army into Wembley Stadium, and you still have lots of spare seats. For example, um, <laughs> uh, the Air Force is you know thirty thousand. It's nothing to what it was when I first joined. Um, and um, yeah. the other thing that, of course, has has happened is the contractorization of the military. So you go onto a military base mm-hmm. these days, and actually, you're likely to see twice as many civilians as you are people in uniform. And you know, yeah. huge, huge difference. Um, and then yeah. you put you put the the commitment on top of that. Um, and whilst we yeah. you know we're not in Afghan and we're not in Iraq, there are a huge number of troops still de- deployed around the world. Um, and put the yeah. Navy, for example, I used to support the Caldrose Air Show, um, and uh, that was stopped uh, two years ago simply because of the weight of effort going in to support the carrier force. Uh, once the new carriers mm. came into me, right. then Caldrose is is totally committed to supporting aviation on the two carriers that we've got. Yeah, it's an interesting business. Um, I'm just going to ask you, George, about the, the smaller teams, so not the military-run teams. How much do they rely on these air shows for, for income, or, or, or is it not much of a, a, a profit maker for these smaller uh, display teams? 
Um, those that are linked to a commercial enterprise, it is absolutely critical. I I didn't want to mention particular team, teams right now, but I no. am aware, certainly, of one very well-known uh, team involved in a larger organization. They are very, very concerned about the future viability of maintaining their display team within their larger organization. Uh, for the smaller teams, they tend to be self-funded um, in that the okay. guys would have the aircraft as recreational vehicles anyway. So most of their costs are covered. Um, and then anything that is made on the display circuit obviously goes into the pot to help them do more displays. Um, and, and then in between that are the huge um, or the larger aircraft projects, um, which are, of course, totally dependent. But one of the things that's eased their financial position is this thing called SSAC. It's an easement whereby you can fly passengers as a commercial business on a permit aircraft. Now, I mentioned permits now um, because the, the majority of aircraft that, that you will all know are AOC. You know, they're, they're airworthiness certificated full-time for commercial passenger operations. But a lot of the aircraft on the air display circuit have permits to fly. So it's a, a lower rating of authorization, if you get my gist. And um, the, this easement to be able to do more commercial work with a permit aircraft has really, really helped. Um, so a bit of mixture of the two. Um, I think we'll have to wait till around about October, November before we see the depth of any damage. George, do you think that the format of air shows is likely to change after uh, when this is all settled down? Um, yes and no. Um, uh, my view uh, generally with these sort of events is that I prefer a hybrid approach anyway. Um, I think to make a really good family day out, um, you've got to have three to four different chunks of activity. Um, so I worked for seven years with Chris Evans on CarFest, and I think that's one of the best models of festival-type involvement in, in, involving aircraft. It doesn't anymore. But to have, you know, music is obviously right up front. But cars, you know, huge motivator uh, uh, amongst the population. Food, food is, is just big, really, really big time. It's amazing how that has exploded. And then to have aviation in something like that as well is icing on the cake. Um, there will always be a hard core of aviation followers. I mean, the fact that we, we get so many people turn out in UK. UK is one of the strongest com uh, countries, by the way. Um, um, you know, marks for it. But um, even now, I'm, showing, I, I'm seeing breaks in uh, the big air shows in other words breaks in time during the course of the day to allow something else to go on like a beating of the retreat or some demonstration maybe with not necessarily with animals but with tanks or something like that um uh, i remember doing a, a, a an event down in bournemouth and one of the other major attractions was actually the monster trucks it wasn't the aircraft at all um, you know, uh, it, it's fascinating the way. So, so you, you've, you know, I, in a way, I, I, I sort of try to keep a fairly lateral thinking mind over the whole thing, and I'm, I'm a great fan of developing hybrid, hybrid events. I've just remembered when <laughs> one time we played Bournemouth Air Show, which is, which is one of those events. There's a lot going. There's so much going on. I love yeah. Bournemouth. I went. I had one weekend off last year because I'm playing festivals every weekend. And the one weekend off I had, it, it was Bournemouth Air Show, and I took my son there. I still was like straight out, and we spent two days. But we play, we've played Bournemouth Air Show twice. Uh, and the second, first time we did, uh, 
it was they had the air show and then the bands come on and then there's fireworks and obviously we wanted to enjoy the night so we arranged we swapped with the other band which was lawson <laughs> so we went on first and then another band came and then lawson came on uh and we played <laughs> and i would never be it was brilliant because it's like 20 minutes i think we only had played like five songs uh they came on and basically because it was all time coded where the fireworks were <laughs> halfway through their set they ex they went on too long and the fireworks started <laughs> whilst they were playing which was even funnier i remember that yeah the fireworks were behind the, not behind the stage but the opposite way so the whole crowd <laughs> turn just around. turned round <laughs> and i remember andy the lead singer going they're just fireworks, you know. We've all seen them before. Oh look, there's another one, and nobody watched the rest of the the, the rest of their gig. That was one of the funniest moments. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I do. It was, it was outrageous. Well, at least you weren't on the stage the night that the whole stage in the beach was flooded by a high oh, yes. tide. I mean, that, that was oh, near no. calamity. They stopped the they've stopped the bands now, haven't they, yeah, at Bournemouth, yeah. because of that. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a it great, great show. show. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, very, very risky, but wonderful nights. We've had some great fun yeah. in Bournemouth. They're a really outstanding event team. And are you confident, George, that um, next year we will have a decent air show programme? Oh, yeah, 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 very, very much so. Um, it, you know, it may be hit 5%, or 10 maximum. But, um, you know, everybody that I've spoken to so far is very confident about bouncing back uh, next year. Um you know, I say the same um, regarding my own aircraft outfit. You know, we're not down, but we're just wounded, um, you know, and you can yeah. recover from a wound. Um, you know, we're not eligible necessarily, all of us, for all the government grants. But, you know, I think I, I think we're going to make the best of it. Um, and, you know, to be honest, taking savage cuts, I mean, I completely shut everything down. I stopped flying completely, cancelled all the policies that I had, cancelled all the activity. So by not spending this year, at least, you know, we've benefited slightly by preserving the stuff for next year. George, so so we were very lucky in as much as we used to have, um, until last year, Wings and Wheels, literally five minutes down the road from where I live, which was great. We used to, I used to take the family, we used to have a, a fantastic time. That's finished. So if yeah. I uh, want to take my kids to an air show next year, which one should I take them to? Which would be your app? You've got to go to this airship. Doesn't matter where it is in the UK, maybe even abroad, but let's say UK to start with. Where would you say take okay. your kids to this one? It's, does it's does it have to have vintage cars as well, though? It doesn't have to. You, no, it really just has to have no. aircraft. That's, that's all they're no. interested in. Okay. Well, you know, I, I have to say I've been a long standing fan of the Royal International Air Tattoo. Um, not just because it is an action packed. It's a really, really full schedule, um, you know, six to seven hours a, a day, um, if not longer on some days, sometimes up to eight hours. Um, but it's the huge amount of interesting stuff on the ground. I mean, you can get up close and personal with so many cockpits, talk to so many crews. Um, and also, the, the innovative stuff that's available, um, they, they've set up a, a, a sort of really great high-tech theme park called the Technozone. Um, and it's just the, the best place for, for young people to be. Um, really, really imaginative and hands-on, a lot of interactive stuff to do there as well. Um, you know, I'd put that pretty much at the top of the list. But on the other hand, I have to say, you know, that as you've been to something that's got a bit of a vintage touch to it as well, um, both Shuttleworth and Duxford yeah, yeah, yeah. 
offer the most outstanding value and, I think most importantly, atmosphere. Mm. Um, Mm. You know, one of the differences between the two, clearly Riyadh is heavy jet and it's also lots of concrete. Shuttleworth (laughs) takes you back 50 years, you know, wonderful grass, beautiful aircraft, um, and, and, you know, some of the best pilots in the country fly out of Shuttleworth. Duxford, on the other hand, has also got that marvellous two-piece, you know, to it. It's got the the most fabulous museum with, obviously, some Mm. of the best aircraft, vintage aircraft, historic aircraft in the country based on the same airfield. Um, So it's horses for courses. If you're slightly veering more to the vintage and historic market, Shuttleworth and Duxford every time. If you're into heavy Mm. metal, uh, as I suspect some other music (laughs) fans may be, then, you know, Riyadh's the place to go. Is there a, is there a, a, any other, the pop. Is there any hidden gems you might recommend, George? For, for like, we have some real hardcore aviation fans. So is there any which you'd recommend which they may not have heard of? Any sort of secret smaller ones? And there are some little gems. I mean, one of them is Little Gransden across in the eastern mm. side of the country, East Anglia. I mean, and that's a, a charitable event. Um, and they get tremendous support for that. And uh, they, they've, they've done really, really well. I support one or two. They're sort of large fates almost. They're almost a large fate, but mm. with aircraft uh, rather than mm. an air display mm. or an air show. Um, but I think um, there's nothing that's that's hidden, you know, as, as yeah. Jez says, <laughs> you can't hide it. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real toughie. But, um, you know, you can easily Google all these things. Um, you know, you can go onto the BARDA website or onto uh, uh, Flightline is a good one. Um, you know, Paul Johnson does great work in, uh, and he really, really researches what's going on across UK very well. So I'd recommend his site as well. And George, um, after the fairly tragic events at Shoreham, uh, a few years ago, how have you do you think have you seen air, air displays change? And do you think they've changed for the better? Or um... uh, yeah, that's that's really difficult. Um, you could ask an event organizer and ask a pilot, and you'd probably get two different answers. <laughs> um, okay, um, everybody has their own view on this, as they do. It's a bit like a Brexit uh, question. Um, it, yeah. it, it was unbelievably tragic um clearly if there are families listening to this our hearts go out to you and what happened there because nothing like that had happened since 1952 um you know it's Mm -hmm. a very very long time we all know that aviation is still the safest form of travel um compared to Mm -hmm. so many other things that we do in our daily lives um but um not surprisingly the planning regime is a lot tougher than it was, uh, particularly the risk assessing and the responsibility chain of command uh, is much more robust than it was. Uh, The involvement of local authorities and the emergency services is much stronger. Um, But, you know, amongst, you know, you guys, you know, fly too. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. the pilot is the one that takes full responsibility for the handling of his aircraft. Nobody else can intervene in a split second to stop what may happen next. It's absolutely impossible. Um, So Mm -hmm. what has also tightened up is the training, monitoring, and supervision side of air display training and flying. So I think put the two together, I think, yes, we've got a much stronger, uh, safer, and reliable system where the spectators, and I'm reinforcing that, are as well mm-hmm. protected as could possibly be 
the risk area is now those people who decide to try and get into an air show on the other side of the airfield and therefore mm. are in yeah. the unsafe area. Um, so yeah. I hope that message in a way, I'm sorry to use your podcast, <laughs> but it is a very important message to get across. Don't try yeah. and gate crash an air display. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Shoreham, I mean, th that was very much one of the, the points that was raised, George, wasn't it? That, in fact, in, in pushing the aircraft further away from the crowd line, you, all you're doing is is pushing them over another area that's actually got little or nothing to do with the air show itself. Absolutely. So, in fact, what are you really achieving by doing that? Well, we define the entire area over which that aircraft will fly in aerobatic mm. con uh, condition and at low level. We actually have to sanitize mm. that entire area. So somebody mm -hmm. walking uh, close to the opposite perimeter of an airfield will stop the air show. You know, it has got that serious. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. a huge mm -hmm. amount of notices and marshals are sent out in the surrounding fields and byways and lanes. Small lanes are closed off uh, entirely to prevent that happening. Um, and all flight directors, because, you know, I, I still work as a flight director as well when I, when I can, uh, managing other people's air displays. You know, there is an enormous responsibility now on the back of a flight director. And it's not a job that anybody takes lightly. Of course, it's it's, yeah. it's not voluntary. People charge for it, but it's not it's not a full time mm -hmm. job either. Uh, there's no trade union, yeah. um, and and it is a it is now uh, become a weighty, risky business to, to do. But um, it has not stopped people running air shows. No, but it has Good. it has reduced the impact. To a, to a certain degree. And for those of us old enough, George, you and me, uh, yeah. to remember the air shows of the, uh, you know, the 1960s and even later than that, I remember seeing the Red Arrows at Biggin Hill in the 60s and they would do that opposition pass, the two singletons, synchro pair, uh, 50 feet above the ground, possibly lower. And that was a regular thing. And the thrill was immense. I don't remember too many accidents either. No, as I say, they're they're very very rare indeed. And I mean, John Derry at Farnborough. I mean, the aircraft actually broke up. You know, it wasn't um, yeah. anybody's fault at all. Um, but when the pilot does lose control, there is very little anybody else can do about it. That's the problem. I mean, and that could mm -hmm. be it. Could be some health issue uh, that you just cannot predict. Um, I mean, we mm -hmm. all go through very yeah. very rigorous medicals, uh, but even so, you cannot predict mm -hmm. a heart attack, for example. So so we have to manage mm -hmm. as best we can and. Yeah, well, you know, whilst I remember um, some of uh, your antics in those days, <laughs> not your personal antics, <laughs> of course, Rob, um, <laughs> uh, you, you only used to fly low over the bar, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> not when I was five years old, George. Not even me. <laughs> yeah, it's another form of surfing, that's all, isn't it, for you? But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, but I do remember when I trained in the, uh, in the Air Force in the, uh, in the late 70s, you know, there were still actually quite a lot of military pilots dying in those days. It just wasn't widely mm. publicized. Um, mm, and yeah. I, I, you know, would you believe three of the instructors that I flew with during the course of my training all died uh, well before I um, uh, fully qualified and went on to a, a squadron anywhere? So, uh, and you go back to the 50s, and actually, if you look at the, the yeah. military aviation statistics, um, it's a pretty mm -hmm. phenomenal number. Uh, I'm just delighted mm -hmm. to say that not much of it ever happened at an air show. Um, no, exactly. There is a cultural change, though. I, I mean, you can you can chop all this out. I mean, the cultural changes. I, I just recently gave a um, a, a talk to a, a conference in in Belgium. It was the European Air Display Pilots, and I said that essentially 
One of the things that's changed in our country, certainly, is what I call the public ownership of grief. Um, and and I put the I put that down to a clear marker in the sand, and it was it was the death of Princess Diana in 1997. Mm. From that moment onwards, uh, not just the government, but everybody in UK takes ownership of that event and the grief that anybody near the people involved. Um, uh, you know, they they have to expand that. Um, so, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying hard not to be um, cynical or in in any way because you know we all desperately feel um, the tragedy in this. Um, but it's it's it, you compare that to Farnborough, where 53 people died, mm-hmm. and about 10 or 15 minutes later they carried on with the air display. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It was yeah. Neville Duke, yeah. wasn't it? And his Hawker Hunter. Mm. Yes, sorry, Neville Duke. I, I think I mentioned John Derry earlier. Yeah. Um, no, John Derry yeah. crashed, yes, 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 but it was Neville, Neville came Duke. on next. Neville Duke yeah. was the yeah. next one to go. And in fact, yeah. George, we, yeah. we've gone another full circle because our uncle who flew beavers in the bush was at that air show with our father and wow. our half-brother. They they witnessed the whole thing. They were there that day, that frightful day. Gosh. Isn't that in something? Yeah, yeah and, and that's why I pointed out it's, it's very much a generational thing. I mean, that generation came through the war. They were used yeah. to people being away for years. They were used to losing people. They were used to not knowing what happened to people, and they were certainly used to death. Mm. Um, mm. Fast forward that to today, and with the, with the reality of what we're dealing with with COVID-19, it's a completely different picture. And the entire, mm. yeah. the entire country is immersed in all the spin-off and tragedy that goes with that, even though we don't know the people dying. Oh. Mm. Sorry about that. It's a bit of a doubt. It's unusual for a podcast, no. I know. But, <laughs> no, it's very true. Well, very true. No, you haven't, you haven't heard our quiz. That was brilliant enough to bring anybody down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that is tragedy. I mean, the whole country can hear that tragedy happening. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah and probably the bigger one is having me on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, George. Not at all, George. That's one of the great victories. No. It's a great victory, George. I want yeah. to ask you about about your display flying with the um, historic aircraft flight, the Army Air Corps. Um, it's a really lovely lineup that because you've got the Beaver, as you said, you've got the the Oster, but you've also got two helicopters in, in the same team. You've got the the Sioux or the Bell Forty Seven, the, the the Clockwork Mouse, and you've got a Westland Scout as well. So in terms I've of display flying and formation, yeah, I mean you I, don't you? know yet. We're 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 working on renovating a, a chipmunk. Uh, we're working on oh, renovating lovely. a tiger moth um, uh, as well. Yeah, no, we've got all sorts in the hangar. Uh, we've got an old uh, 1950s, early 1950s Skeeter, uh, one of the very yes. first operational British helicopters. Um, all I yes. need is a donator. I need a benefactor, Rob. So if you could put my <laughs> Roy, name in, Roy's your, the put my name yeah. in your Look will. No further now. than the pop star. <laughs> we've got a pop star. He's, um, been a, he's, he's had a number one single, he tells us. So he's your man. <laughs> but George, what I was going to ask you is, is yeah. with all those different different types in one display team, including fixed wing and rotary, what sort of demands does that create in keeping a display formation together? Yeah, it, it's it's pretty demanding. I call it twenty air misses in a row. Um, <laughs> if you know what an air miss is, you'll you'll understand that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a close shave, um, but of course it's all choreographed. Yeah. Now the the first thing to notice is is the different performance curves. Obviously, uh, the different power to weight ratios of all the aircraft uh, involved, uh, tapes and doing. So it's all down to the experience and and skill of the guys. Now the one advantage we have is that they're also all quite slow. 
Um, so what we <laughs> tend to try and do is fly them literally as close as we can, and we layer them um, uh, vertically as well as well as uh, laterally. And um, it, it seems to, um, I think, get people's attention because it's just such a wacky thing to do to see not just four completely different aircraft in in the sky, but a mixture of rotary and fixed wing flying around each other. Um, I mean, yeah. we, to be perfectly honest, we 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 did really well. I mean, at Yeoverton last year when we finally got. The show together that we wanted we actually picked up um, best display award which was which was fantastic and it wasn't oh, well, because yeah, we were the, the yeah it's not because we were the biggest or the noisiest or the most dramatic or the most aerobatic and did the most spins and turns or whatever it was simply because uh, you know one or two people said that is absolutely extraordinary i've never seen anything like that and those guys <laughs> have obviously worked hard to put all those four aircraft in the sky together um, so we were we were very pleased with that. But what these what do these things do? Well, they tell a story. They tell tell a story of innovation uh, and bravery. Um, the Oster pilots, in in particular, uh, extraordinary guys. Mm. Uh, Royal Artillery pilots mainly. Um, they they were the first aircraft to land on Normandy soil after D Day. Uh, the recce party went across in a landing craft and fought their way up the beach to to prepare the first strip for the first five mm. aircraft to get in who were waiting at Leon Solent. Um, you know, extraordinary <laughs> stuff. And then they flew up and down the, the front line, spotting where the fall of the gunnery was from the, the ships that were mm. out uh, at sea um, with no protection whatsoever, absolutely none. Mm. So they'd fly yeah. low level, you know, behind the trees, and then they'd launch up into an arc. Um, and within the space of probably less than 10 seconds, the guy in the back, if he wasn't already <laughs> throwing up, would have to, have to pinpoint <laughs> where the shot fell and then radio back to the ship to say no. whether they were left, right, plus or minus of the target. Tremendous work. Tremendous stuff. And that was uh, in the Oster, was it? That was it, yeah. And it wasn't even in a helicopter, wow. in a fixed-wing aircraft. Good a really man. difficult thing to do under fire. Really, really tough. But mm. but but you know I have to say I'm I'm you know I'm more fixed wing than the rotary but I do love the Bell forty seven. Um, mm. When you when you ask a kid to draw a helicopter, he invariably <laughs> comes up with the shape very similar to a Bell forty seven. You know it's what we watched on telly. Uh, do you remember Whirly Birds? You yeah. know, and yes. mash, mash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, our mm. whole generation grew up with that. Was the iconic helicopter. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, it's tremendous to see, but, you know, I mean, it's hugely underpowered, but it's got that massive bubble on the front, so you, you, can, yeah. you can see everything. Um, in fact, it's a bit a bit of a pea super to fly because it's very difficult to to pick out the horizon in poor light. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it, a, it's it, a left it, flown from the left hand seat, isn't it? Which is quite unusual for a helicopter, I believe. It, it, it James is. Will yeah. Confirm yeah. This. Well, typically, yeah. That is, that's just weird. Uh, mm. Well, yes, I know. <laughs> uh, you've had this left hand, right hand seat discussion before, haven't you? George, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. you're a listener. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. um, it, it is. It is. It is interesting. Um, I mean, there are lots of switches. I mean, going back to the display world, in the Tutor, for example, which is the basic trainer for. Uh, all three military uh, the instructor sits in the left hand side and the, and the student in the right but when they display it the instructor moves to the right hand seat 
to display the aircraft because mm. it's got a, got ah. a better panel on his side. Yeah, there's some interesting quirks. Um, there's, there's so, talking about the, the Bell 47, George, you're saying it's very difficult to pick out the horizon. Am I right in saying that they actually put a piece of tape now around, or, well, not now, but they put a piece of tape around the canopy so that yes. it sort of worked as an artificial horizon in, in some way? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right because it's such a big bubble. Um, generally, in yeah. any aircraft, you have a bit of superstructure in your way so that when you pull it against the horizon, you know you're going up or down. But in the Bell 47, you can twiddle away, you know, with the collective lever. <laughs> uh, but actually, the, the, the sky, the, you know, particularly if it's dull, grey conditions, it can all look very much the same. So um, have you spotted the little tuft of string as well on the, on the bubble canopy just above the yellow line which goes across it? Um, which, oh, of, I don't which think of course, so. is just... Yeah, well, that, that, that just 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 basically confirms whether you're in trim or whether you're flying sideways or not, uh, which is another <laughs> tricky thing. Yeah, it's very true. Um, it's a trickier thing. We had one of those on the when I, when I learnt on the Gazelle. We had one of those pieces of string, but for some reason they always stick out to the side. They never they never go forward. <laughs> off. I don't know why that is. <laughs> that explains a walk, lot, Jim. Do, I think we I think we know why that is, Jay. <laughs> you walk, walk lop tidied as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. I do a lot of I do a lot of circling. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> George, which which model of Oster you fly the Oster as well as the Beaver? Which which model of Oster do you have in the team? Well, we we have the GTI version. <laughs> okay, it's, 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 it's 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 the Mark Nine, top of the range with a Bombardier engine. Um, it's oh, got a lot nice. more poke and power uh, than the Mark One. So I mean, you know, the guys that mm. were, were flying in Normandy had very uh, relatively low-powered aircraft as well. Yeah. No, the, the, it's a, it's a delight to fly. Actually, it's a real pleasure. It's very very maneuverable and lightweight, and and I love it. Um, I mean, in, in in conversely, the Beaver's got a massive 450 um, horsepower and nine-cylinder uh, engine. And a real roar. The only thing is, you know, that would make it go really fast. But the airframe is isn't at all slippery, as you know. Right. It's, it's, it's literally yeah. as I described it. It's a flying pickup truck. Uh, the AOP nine came in, I think, in fifty four, fifty five, and its first operational um, sortie was in which country, gentlemen? Do you think the AOP nine first? Oh. Where do you think it was? Malaya. Malaya. He's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. that's where it first saw service. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? The old Australia P9. Do you have to go digging for these? I mean, do you just well, Google Malaya <laughs> aircraft? And then we we choose our guest because it's got something to do with the fact that it's been in Malaya. It's just that there were so many firsts and indeed lasts in aviation terms in Malaya. But in fact, our father, and I, who art in heaven, actually, uh, he did, he was in the Gurkhas, George, and he did actually fly. Uh, he went up in the Osters with the Army Air Corps. He absolutely loved them. And and the jobs, the yeah. roles they yeah. had out in Malaya were fascinating. It was leaflet dropping down to the CTs, the communist terrorists. Uh, they also did this, what do they call it, shouting... Um, they had these. Oh, they, the had a sky, a, they had a sky shouting shark. Yeah, yeah. A sky shark. So they had <laughs> shouting the girls. They had... They had these massive tannoys strapped to the wing struts, and you'd, they would shout down to the uh, terrorists down below. So, so, um, so, why did the military reject um, you and Jeremy then, uh, Rob? Um, I, I think we were wise enough not to even try. I, I, you know, I went for a job that required absolutely no qualifications. Television presenter, and Jez, have you not met them? And Jez as a fencer, equally. No qualifications required. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, I'm sure you've done very well. Never heard of you, Rob. 
<laughs> no, neither have I, George. That's the worry. <laughs> Wonderful stuff, George. Before we sign off, guys, I've rather dominated this, I'm afraid. Anyone else like any more questions for, for Smokey? I, I have a question for George. George, if you could uh, if you could go back in time to an air show um, with your knowledge of air shows uh, and there's one display that you wish you could have witnessed firsthand anywhere in the world, what would it be? Oh, blimey. That's a, that's a, real, that's a real tough thing. I probably would like to have seen, not necessarily an aircraft, but some of the icons of aviation, like Neville Duke, John Derry. Mm. I, I think probably mine would be a people focus rather than an aircraft focus. Um, you know, oh. real legendary uh, development <laughs> pilots. Um, clearly... Uh, it would have been great to have seen uh, and met Chuck Yeager when he was a test pilot. Um, you know, we all know what he went on to. I mean, he was just a, a young farmer's guy, you know, son brought up uh, out in the outback, more or less, and he made it all the way to space. You know, these are the, I think it's the people probably more than the aircraft. I think aircraft, there are icons there that you just never get tired of watching. Uh, one of those has got mm-hmm. to be the Spitfire, of course. Um, my second mm-hmm. favorite probably be a Mustang. Um, and then some of the big heavies um, of the Second World War. I mean, it's great that we still have uh, Sally B in UK. Um, you know, that would be a tragedy, I think, if that were to leave. But I think in time, mm-hmm. um, it must have been tremendously inspiring to have been at the old Hendon flying days, um, you know, where where the museum now is. I mean, when, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the string bags were flying, and when the flying circuses were all invented, um, you know, I, I dread to imagine what it was like going to an air show yeah. in the in the states, for example, in the nineteen twenties. Uh, it must have been wild, absolutely wild, because yeah. you know all those first world war world war pilots. Yeah. There were shed loads of spare airframes. Um, you know, not you know, it was de- depression as well. Not many jobs. Ah, it must have been terrific. But but I think in, in terms of uh, imagery and perhaps uh, ambiance, the Hendon Air Days must have been something quite fantastic. Um, and then I think the, the iconic pilots that we that we revere even today, um, it would have been great to have met them. And is there one uh, one thing that you have witnessed that will always stick out in your memory? Gosh, there there really have been um, so many. Um, I mean, in recent times, you know, first display of something like the F-35, I think the first display of any new aircraft is always a one. But I think going back, I think everybody took a gasp of breath every time a lightning pulled up its hmm. wheels when it was about 30 feet above the runway and then pulled <laughs> vertically into a climb to 50,000 feet. I think probably that single moment of the whole generation, I think, is probably one of those uh, oh my word moments that everybody will remember so i think probably mm. the lightning displays uh definitely for me are um, r- definitely imprinted on the brain cell george where can we find out more uh about all like you're such a busy man <laughs> but about about air shows about uh your display team where's the best way well uh, to get in touch uh, well probably through the, the british air display association site i mean that's um you know one of my focuses uh, i'm the spokesman for them and obviously do a lot of work for, for, for them as well and and that's where we have a lot of information about air displays if anybody wants to find anything um clearly i i'm on the road a lot every summer as well so I, you know that's probably the best place to find me between uh, may and <laughs> september is not at 
home, but somewhere else, a bit like your <laughs> life, uh, Roy. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but um, uh, you know, you can you can find some of the stuff I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm involved in a very exciting project with the Armchair Air Show, um, as we touched on uh, earlier with the virtual air shows. Um, you know, those, those sort of things. They're they're all available online. I tend not to publicize myself. I you know I, I say I mean I I'm very much a facilitator. Um, you know, having covered a lot of areas, you know, both in displaying myself managing aviation uh, but also having been in the the radio production world uh, and things like that you know i'm 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 really like to be immersed um in in that sort of work creating something for other people to enjoy is where i think i'm probably happiest to be honest you do a great job george fantastic. yeah here Thank here so fantastic yeah. and george the armchair yeah. air show uh, we know it goes live on the 20th of june will it be available on youtube beyond that Oh yes, yes. It'll, on the Airability YouTube channel, it'll be it'll be held there then for time immemorial, uh, just like yourself. <laughs> that's, that's great news, George. Oh we are so grateful to you for your time. It's been fantastic to catch up with you and all your stories, and we look forward to meeting up with you properly in the hopefully not too distant future. George Smoky Bacon, thank you so much. This is Top Landing Gear. Thank you, George. Yeah. Thank you, George. Thank you. Real pleasure. Just Thank tell you, me George. when the bar opens in Brighton, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> that was that was brilliant. Okay. Thank Cheers you, George. Out. That was fabulous. Right.